I'm Sean. And I'm Clayton, and we're men who like men who like movies. Two queer men who love movies and love talking about movies, and after a lot of urging, we started a podcast. Sean, this week was your pick. What was your movie of choice? So, I wanted to go with a big summer movie, well, or at least a movie that really, like, reminds me of summer. I don't even know why this movie has no, like, real time that it tells you, but it just feels like a summer blockbuster to me. Um, even if, I mean, it did very well, but it wasn't like blockbuster, blockbuster. Um, I picked a very French film, The Fifth Element. (laughs) I would not have thought of this as being a French film, even if it was from French creators. Dude, you could, this movie just feels French to me. Like just the way it's structured, like the way it's, uh, I don't know. It just feels very French and I love it. Um, and I've loved this movie for years. Uh, saw it when I was younger, but I didn't appreciate it until I was probably around 14 or 15. I bought it on DVD and I remember just loving it. And then I made my mom watch it. And now it's one of my mom's favorite movies. So apparently I'm just going through my mom's favorites right now. (laughs) Fun. I love that your mom loves the fifth element. She does. She will regularly say whenever we have chicken, she'll be like, chicken. Chicken, good. <laughs> good chicken. Um, which is a line Lou says in this. Um, it is. <laughs> and we do have a special guest help us out today. We have one of my best friends on the planet, Kristen. How are you, Kristen? Glad to have you back again. Yes, That's thank awesome. you for coming I am back. Super excited to be here. I enjoy the fifth element as well. So I am so glad I could hop on for this one. <laughs> We're glad to have you. Um, and if anybody's listening, uh, well, people probably do listen. I'm hoping. <laughs> uh, Kristen was last on our Nightmare Before Christmas episode. Yes. And that is another one of my favorite films of all time. So apparently Kristen's just coming on for lots of my favorites. <laughs> yes, definitely. And one of my favorites coming up next year as well. So, <laughs> so why'd you choose this one, Kristen? Well, it is definitely... An interesting mix of uh, comedy, action, a little bit of romance sprinkled in there, all set in the sci-fi package. So, like, how do you get all that to mix together to make something pretty visually awesome to look at? You know, that's really why I enjoy watching it. And it's definitely one of those that I caught on TNT, highly edited down and watched it with my dad. (laughs) Uh edited for tv versions of things are awful i am so sorry would you settle for a pg-13 relationship oh my god sean (laughs) (laughs) sorry if i can get scream in here i will always put a scream reference (laughs) what about you clayton how's what is your relationship to the fifth element because i know you didn't have the highest of regards for this movie when we so i didn't see this movie until probably the pandemic started was when i saw the fifth element for the very first time and i didn't hate it but i didn't understand what all the hype was about i will say on this watch i enjoyed it a lot more probably because i knew what i was getting into and that first time i was just like what the fuck is happening (laughs) but yeah i didn't really have a relationship to it other than seeing it once a couple years ago and just being like huh that's my fifth element story i just thought that's neat (laughs) yeah basically (laughs) i'm like oh baby mila (laughs) i know it is she's 19 when they were making this movie which is funny because that's the same age as lupus wife 
that he leaves for Mila during this movie. <laughs> hey, uh, yeah, she likes her directors. She does like her directors. <laughs> uh, so would you guys recommend this movie? Totally. This is fun. Yeah, it's definitely a joyride. Like, it just keeps going and you're not sure where it's going, but you're there for it. Yes, I just love, like, this movie is definitely a ride, but it's definitely campy, too, which is really fun. Like, this movie does not take itself seriously, and I just, I love the crap out of that, for that. <laughs> you ready yeah. to get into some meat and potatoes? Ugh, if you don't say meat and potatoes, yes. Oh, <laughs> uh, why, why do you hate me saying meat and potatoes? I just asked. really hate it. It just reminds me of, like... Sunday dinner after church and having like roast and potatoes and it just um, makes me I don't know Uh, you know how there's just phrases you don't like that's just one of those that I'm just like I like clench up every single time (laughs) what do you clench wouldn't you like to know (laughs) not really you're like my brother Um... it's it's my shoulders my shoulders clench up Okay, let's get into this uh, vegan stir fry of a movie. Um, Much better. Well, not <laughs> vegan. I like I like meat, but um, stir fry. Yes, we know we know you like some meat. I do. <laughs> yes, it is true. <laughs> All right. So this movie was directed by Luke Besson and written by Luke Besson and Robert Mark Kamen, with costumes by Jean Paul Gaultier. And the production design was actually done by two, or some of the production design at least, was done by two very famous French comic book artists, Jean-Claude, Jean-Claude Mazieres and Jean Gerard, also known as Mobius, who is a very well-known, they're both pretty well-known, but Mobius especially is very well-known in the comic book world. He, he had a, a hand in creating heavy metal, which in the 80s was a huge comics comic series it was an anthology of stories and they actually created two animated movies based on it which are pretty good (laughs) i was gonna say i've only seen the i've seen both of them but i only remember the first one and it's it's fun but there's it's just never heard of this ip in my life you never heard of heavy metal i've heard of the genre (laughs) (laughs) heavy metal is it's basically it's an anthology of stories and it's like different horror or sci-fi and some of them have action like one of the most well-known stories is like this woman this like very meek woman becomes like this super powerful like demigod badass big-breasted woman (laughs) of course who like scantily clad and waving a sword kind of thing and there's another really good one where one of the stories is uh, another really good one. Cause that one sounded like a banger. <laughs> <laughs> um, another good one is this essentially there's a through point in the first movie of this, like it's this ball of evil, which actually ties into this movie. Cause there is a ball of evil that essentially it, during world war two, a plane that is like raised by bullets ends up the, dead crewmen end up coming back to life into zombies while on the plane and zombies zombies and they end up trying to kill the people who are still alive 
And that's a good story, too. That was zombies I want to do. <laughs> I mean, I think they both sound kind of lame, but if they work for comic readers, awesome. Sure. Bassan had been working on the script, which was originally called Zaltman Boleros, since he was about 16, or at least some version of it. Um, and Zaltman was originally a more, a more, more of a nobody, whereas Corbett is like former military, kind of a badass. Zaltman worked at a jet factory, and then he wins a trip to Floston Paradise and meets Lilu, who just is what they called a sand girl who lived on the beaches out there. Nice. Which would have been a very different movie. Yeah, that would have been a very different movie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Milo Jovovich learned the divine language that she speaks in it from Luke Bassan, who had an 800-word dictionary and spent eight months in pre-production learning the language. That is impressive. I was wondering about that watching it. I'm like, she is just like rattling this shit off, and it's very impressive. And I was wondering what the origin of that was, so I'm glad you put that in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, apparently he handed her a dictionary and said, here you go. Yep, here, learn this. Um, Milo's hair was dyed. Uh, it was bleached blonde and then dyed that mandarin orange color for the production. But her about halfway through, her hair started to fall out. So they did finally make a... So about halfway through the movie, it does switch to a wig. She's probably like, damn it, why couldn't we have done this wig the whole fucking time? <laughs> <laughs> um, according to an interview with her we watched, we saw... Uh, she was happy with it until her hair started falling out and she's like well the first half of the movie is my hair and i'm glad we set that up <laughs> uh mywen or mywen labesco who was married to luke Besson at the time played the diva after the originally cast model did not show up to the makeup and costume fitting and Besson persuaded mywen to play the diva am i supposed to know who mywen is like as a person um, no. do you remember high tension no. i do remember high tension do you remember the girl she was in love with? Uh, sort of. I try to block that movie out of my mind. Oh. Well, she was the girl that she was in love with. The one whose family gets murdered. Oh, yes. Like that's... I was like, is this a singer? Is this a celebrity? Is my win? <laughs> like, is this like I'm a French Madonna? Am I really supposed to know who this is? <laughs> okay, no, I, cool. was, I was going to explain it. I knew you wouldn't know who she was. But you didn't give me a chance. <laughs> yeah, it's just uh, with these one word names, I just always kind of wonder. Uh, that's just how she's known. Her name is like Mywen Labesco is what she was originally in her career. But once she started becoming more famous, she went by Mywen. And then also she was married and had a ba- uh, had a daughter with Bassan. But during the filming of Fi- Fifth Element, he did leave her for Mila Jovovich, who we all know loves her directors. She does. <laughs> uh, Jean-Paul Gaultier designed 900 costumes for the movie including the the flight attendants wear and even so much as a single coat cost $5,000 I mean as far as see I love the fashion in this movie I'm a big I love fashion in movies like if you have a good like if you have good wear like I, I can... love the costumes in this I just like is that expensive I don't know what the running cost is for a jacket I mean, I'll pay $60. Yeah, but you're not dressing a fantasy <laughs> movie production, so... Right. You know. Well, I feel like most movies try and keep their costume budgets lower, unless you're, like, Francis Ford Coppola and you have Aiko Ishioka. <laughs> then you can spend as much as you want. But most of them, I feel, try and keep it a little bit lower. And having a 
you know, a major French name to do. Yeah, I was like, but if you hire Gaultier to do costumes, I don't think you're like, uh, can we get a $60 jacket? (laughs) No, I just mean like it's, that's just, I'm just giving you a running total. No, that's fine. I was just uh, digging a little deeper trying to find out why this was shocking. (laughs) It wasn't. It was just information. Ah, okay. It's shocking to me. $5,000. That's stupid. I'm sorry. That's ridiculous. Agreed. I'm poor. (laughs) Do not put me down for it. (laughs) And this was the highest grossing French film in the international box office until dethroned it by The Untouchables in 2011. Get into the cast a little bit. We've got Bruce Willis as Corbin Dallas. We've got Gary Oldman as Zorg. Uh, We've got Ian Holm as... May he rest in peace. Yes. Priest Vito Cornelius. Mila Jovovich as Lilu. Chris Tucker as Ruby Rod, who I know his performance for a lot of people is either like you absolutely love it or you absolutely hate it. It's a I'm lot. in the love. <laughs> it's it, I'm in the love crowd. I greatly enjoy it, but I finished and I was just like, is is this offensive? <laughs> I don't have a good like meter for something being offensive sometimes, so I just wondered. I think it's delightful personally. <laughs> it's kind of a drag performance, which is kind of cool. But he also has, like, echoes of, like, Prince. Because Prince was very effeminate in some ways and was still seen as, like, incredibly sexy. Like, someone who's very in touch with their feminine side can be, is just as sexy as the manly man. Although that is something that, pe- that, some, uh, that some critics talk about is the use of gender in this movie. Because it does feel like everyone, anyone who's not Corbin Dallas definitely has a... Uh, they're a little bit either clumsy or, you know, kind of effeminate or they're just not smart at things. <laughs> or they're Bilbo Baggins. Yes, exactly. Who's just can't. He has very much a. Uh, He's just, just trying to keep shit together. OK. Yes. He's just trying to keep this shit together. Yes. Does he so always succeed? I love that no. your reference for him is Bilbo. Sean's reference for him would be Alien. And my reference for him is the BBC production of The Borrowers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I still haven't seen that. <laughs> well, I mean, it is tough to find. Yep. I had to uh, do some deep searching on online and uh, find some VHS copies to get that. So hey, at least you got it now. I did. I'm very happy to have that in my collection. I was very sad when our local library got rid of theirs. I think that really points to what camps are all from <laughs> right i was gonna say i'm definitely the horror camp you're definitely the fantasy camp and clayton is definitely the i watched it on tv when i was a kid because i was sheltered camp. <laughs> hey I, the borrowers is my favorite book of all time so <laughs> it's really whatever that. but i also love the lord of the rings it just so happens that i saw the borrowers before lord of the rings because lord of the rings was pg-13 and i wasn't allowed to watch that when i was tiny and also it didn't come out until i had already seen the borrowers and i'm like oh pod uh when i saw lord of the rings yeah i've never read it either so Uh, sean what it's so tiny read it it'll change your life Yes. I'm doing the Chris Evan, the Chris Hemsworth like face <laughs> to the I'm to doing the, the Amelia Clark back at you. <laughs> <laughs>
got some sassy eyebrows. Let me just say that. Same. It does. <laughs> uh, also, for top build, we have Luke Perry, also <laughs> rest in peace, <laughs> as Billy, who this would have been the height of 90210. So, yes. <laughs> you know, they were just like, Luke Perry's in this, throw his name on it. <laughs> For real, though, you see the opening scroll of credits, and his is and Luke Perry. And he's in there for a grand total of, like, five minutes of the very first part of the movie. And that's it. Yeah, Yeah. I was watching the credit. I am always fascinated by credit order and, like, withs and ands and how they're credited. (laughs) And Luke Perry was just like, okay. And we paid for his name to be here. (laughs) Right. Well, they were... I mean, that's what they'll do is they'll... There are so many movies that, like, people will make in, like, their early part of their career, and then they have, like, minor roles in it, but they'll be the ones shown on the box art. (laughs) That's kind of, like, what this is. (laughs) You know, like, Luke Perry is very much, he was, you know, a a, a teen star. So, having his name on the front of this, I'm sure there were girls like, oh my god, Luke Perry. I wonder if they were sorely disappointed to learn that he's only in, like, seven minutes of this movie. Yes. Probably a little bit. And then, like I said, Maywen is the diva Plava Laguna, who is visually still probably the most stunning aspect of this film. Uh, sure. I would say. I would. We could talk about it later. Uh, are we ready to get into the, uh, to the, to the actual movie? Yes, very. So we start off in Egypt in... A time that I don't remember what year it was, but it was older than 1914. This one. Thank you, 1914. <laughs> what a, a long, bad year! That's, long time ago. That's the year that the Titanic sank. Uh, actually, that is no, not it was correct. 1912. That was 1912. <laughs> Whoopsies! It was April 14th. Sorry, I mixed up my things. <laughs> don't judge me, or you can judge me. That's okay. I don't care. Um, but yes, we are in Egypt and a small professor is discovering what looks to be a epic battle between good and evil written on the wall of a of some ruins and billy played by luke perry is his kind of sarcastic assistant and then we have aziz who is holding the mirror that is reflecting very poorly (laughs) well i mean i can't blame him i'd fall asleep too this must be the most boring job in the world Almost as boring as trying to translate hieroglyphics on a wall. Okay, some people enjoy it. Maybe some people like holding lights. Don't. That Job kid is shame. falling asleep. He does... <laughs> <laughs> He's falling asleep. He is not having fun. <laughs> Who doesn't like sleeping? <laughs> Aziz, light. I love that Billy's keeping a running total of it, by the way. I greatly loved that detail myself. He's like, Aziz, light. <laughs> We've got the introduction of the Mandashiwins, which are a race of biomechanical ducks. aliens. Ducks. <laughs> they do kind of look like ducks. <laughs> they look like like very buff ducks. Okay, I just want to point out, the professor is Italian. Like, most of these said in Egypt, your professor's going to be British or some sort of obnoxious American. But you got an Italian with an American uh, assistant that doesn't want to do shit. So, I appreciate that. Yeah, I liked the pivot as well. Especially coming from a Frenchman. Like, they could have put, you know, a French professor in there. But it's always 
95% of the time British. Yeah. They're the only ones that like archaeology. And this random Italian. (laughs) (laughs) Just this one guy. No one else. Yes. And I do love when the Mandashiwans show up and he's (laughs) figuring it out and he turns around and he's like, are you German? (laughs) Which would have made sense because this would have been around the time of World War One. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> and then we learn that the fifth element is being taken away along with these stones, which will play a big part in the movie. And then Billy has a gun after they... Do do they kill the professor? Like, they don't show his body. Is he supposed well, to be dead? Well, I assumed they did. Like, to I, keep him from I don't talking. know. Well, I, I'm assuming that's at least why they, you know, put him out of commission. But it's like, it's almost, they don't seem like they're violent, but they also definitely instill in their priest to do what you have to do to keep the secret, since homie priest was about to poison their asses when he started finding out too much. But I don't see them as being like, let's just kill this dude, so much as you're going to be incapacitated and not know why. But I guess it's up to us, since they don't really say. Right. I like to think they marked his ass. <laughs> you think they marked p- poor Billy afterwards too? Uh, or is he just lay? Is he just laying there still, just like <laughs> <laughs> to this day? <laughs> the skeleton is just laying there. <laughs> um, but we cut from 1914 to 300 years later, and we see Ian Holm who is now the priest of the same order of whatever priesthood. They don't actually say that, do they? He's just like... I don't remember. Uh, they say he's like an expert on astrophysical uh, astrophenomenon. You're a priest of space! Yeah, basically. Space priest. Space priest! Oh my god, that sounds like an awesome comic book. Space priest? I mean, yeah. <laughs> it's just, it's just Ian Sounds like one of those god awful like AMC shows that would just be kind of entertaining, though. Like space priest, and Ian Holm is playing the priest now. Uh, I do love the fact that evil comes across in this movie as a giant sun. Like it's like an evil sun, which is supposed to be like a sun is the birthplace of most you know, like change in life because sunlight is needed. And then this one, it's kind of like an evil sun. Yeah, I like the visual representation. Mm-hmm. And we see a, one of the... A typically American army. Yes. It does feel like a very typically American army. Let's shoot at it. <laughs> It'll be fine. Shoot first, no. ask questions later. No, it's not fine. No. And we do have yeah, John I love Neville. That that's their plan is let's shoot this sentient sun creature. I'm sure it'll be fine. <laughs> Spoiler alert, boys and girls, it was not fine. No. <laughs> you get a CGI skull coming at you from a fireball. Yeah. That it doesn't happen. look that bad. Mm. It doesn't. It does not look that bad. I love a lot of the effects in this, but that was one that I cringed a little bit. I didn't think it was. Then again, I did watch this on DVD. Why did you watch this on DVD? You literally have this on 4K. Well, I I, I don't have a 4K TV, so we watched the HDX, but then 
like in the HEX it didn't look too bad and this is basically the end of John Neville by the way who we love John Neville is a nice little character actor who I know th- I know the best from Urban Legend he played the the dean of the college oh that's right mm-hmm. so I I want to f- I want to ask a question real quick. So we notice that as he's staring down death, this general starts bleeding from like his forehead, top of his head area, like underneath his hat. Is it bleeding from the brain or is it just like generalized bleeding from something? I wondered that every single time that it happened in this movie. I took it as bleeding from the brain because it's speaking... Like you're talking to direct, like directly to pure evil, right? But then I get, I get this mental image of just like an evil minion, just chilling above your head, dripping some blood down your face. <laughs> I'm sure for his, he's wearing a hat. They just put a tube up there, and just We're like the boss told me, this is my job today, to so scare the shit out of you, like, because it's not coming from an orifice, right? just coming from a random spot on the top of your head so is there just a hole born into your brain i mean that is possible we are speaking about true evil here but like even in the other scene where zorg has kind of the same experience it looks like there was just an extra like sitting up top with a little eyedropper just drop drip it down the front of his face bro scare the shit up it's fine I feel like this one was a tube. They might do it for Zorgs later, though. <laughs> yeah. Unless his hair, half hair, is his, his side. I'm bleeding from my roots. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, and we watch John Neville die, and Pure Evil is here, and Bruce Willis awakens, and he is blonde. And I needed to ask, is blonde Bruce Willis sexy or is he not sexy, Clayton? I like it. I do too. I think blonde Bruce Willis is sexy. I have to concur. I still think the hottest Bruce Willis is Pulp Fiction Bruce Willis, but this would be a very, very close second. Really? You think that one is the hottest? I am very attracted to Bruce Willis in Pulp Fiction. Oh. Surprising. I like his bright orange shirt. It is. Well, I like how they color coordinate him and Lilu when you first, their first introduction. Like, his shirt matches her hair. True. Doesn't everyone coordinate their shirt with whoever they're with's hair? Well, not <laughs> not necessarily people I fall through a taxi cab route for. Which has happened more often than you'd think. <laughs> it's not a lot, but it's weird <laughs> that it's happened twice. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, but yes, we're introduced to Blonde Bruce Willis, who is a former fighter pilot who turned taxi driver. And he's just, he's really kind of cool in this. I like the character Corbin Dallas. They give him like an effortless, like, like an effortless machismo, but it actually works. Yeah. Ooh, I do have a question for you, Clayton. Do you know uh, who actually played the voice of Finger? Uh, no. His boss? It was actually Vin Diesel. He was uncredited. Oh. Uh, did you know Vin Diesel was the voice of the Iron Giant? Yes, I did. I think that's the weirdest Vin Diesel it thing. Is. <laughs> <laughs> he really does like to go for roles that don't sound anything like him to this. Does he? I am Groot. 
I love how they had Keurigs in the future already. Good old he just Keurigs. took that fucking, fucking coffee pot and shoved it against the wall, had some coffee. Appreciate it. I just that. like that he had a cigarette machine in his room. Yeah, I also had a question about that cigarette machine. It's like, to quit is my goal. So it's like trying to get him to quit. If you do quit, do you, does the smoking machine just stay there? Like, are you just Well, I don't know if you noticed, the cigarettes are mostly 90% filter. 90% filter? I think this line's mostly filler. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was just like, I'd have to have that by my bed and just pop out like 15 of them to feel like I had a cigarette. <laughs> No cigarette light today, please. Yes. And then we see just how cool Corbin is when he gets mugged by this uh, tweaker, I guess would be the... Yes. Tweaker is the appropriate... I think that gentleman was having a bad time. Yes. Very tweaker behavior. And I laughed a lot. (laughs) Give me the cash! (laughs) I just love how he just kept adding more everything was so difficult for him i just wanted to give him a hug (laughs) word from Kristen: hug your local meth head (laughs) they need it they're having a rough day (laughs) they're having a hard time bro (laughs) and corbin effortlessly negotiates the gun away from from the tweaker who is wearing a hat that looks like the outside of his the video the video view from the outside of his apartment and he says, it's a, a very cool hat. hat. <laughs> I like how he just tries to dance himself off of the stage. <laughs> right. Like, hey. what, else, what else can you do? Just like entertain until you can exit stage left, pursued by a bear. Yes. So I love Corbin Dallas's mom. <laughs> I do she too. Amazing comic relief. She's like, what? I should have never pushed you out. The feeling that all moms have, they just don't want to say. It's fine. You don't have to admit it on air. Oh, no. They know. (laughs) They know. I love you, but I don't have to like you. It is very true. Love and like are two very separate things. They are very separate things. Um, And I also, one of the things I really like this movie, it's a very biblical kind of threat in a science fiction setting. Which I think is something kind of cool, because you don't see that very often. Usually it's something in a science fiction movie, like, it's very much like AI is going to destroy the world, or aliens, or something like that. But this one feels like a very much like a biblical threat is threatening the world of the future. And I think it's something just a little bit different, which is another reason I like this movie. Yeah, I can agree with that. I think I like how the, the president was just, like, willing to listen to the space priest. Like, he offered another solution, and he was actually willing to listen to him, where, and I'm sure if that happened in today times, that would not be the case. Yeah, it'd just be, like, fake news. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there was actually a staff of, of people that were there. Like, I love how they just bring up this priest. Like, he's <laughs> he's just there, along with a couple other priests, if I remember right, like, <laughs> when you first see him. We learn from Ian Holm that essentially the fifth element is a supreme being that was created to be able to stop evil using the stones, which represent the four elements. The Mandashiwan, who were the aliens seen at the beginning of the film, come back with the fifth element and are allowed into the airspace to be promptly destroyed by 
very ugly aliens called Mangalores. <laughs> Mangalores. Mangalores. Which I always wonder if they got Mandalores from, or if they got <laughs> that from Mangalores. They're Mandalorians, but they're going <laughs> to mangle you. Yeah, they're, they're Mangalorians. <laughs> Mangalorians. <laughs> Uh, and this is when we find the remains of who will become Lilu. And this scene, I think, still really holds up, too. Oh, yeah. This like, when wonderful. they basically 3D print a human being. Yeah. Dude, we're not too far off from that, so they kind of hit the nail on the head. <laughs> right. They definitely, like, it feels like it's coming, so I mean... That- it was very, very Westworld. It is very Westworld. It was very cool. Um, and this is when we're introduced to Mila Jovovich's Lilu, who is that supreme being. And Mila Jovovich's nipples in a PG-13 movie. So many you nipples. Can mm-hmm. <laughs> this poor woman, you could see her nipples through the entire movie. Well, yes, but I mean, they're like out there in this scene and when she is changing at the apartment and I'm like, damn, 1997, between this and Titanic, they were just putting titties all in PG-13 movies. This is why I said, would you settle for a PG-13 relationship? Oh my God. (laughs) Which I'm not going to lie though, that line always does, it doesn't remind me of Scream as much as it does Scary Movie when she's like, would you settle for a PG-13 relationship? And it's like a, a flappy, hairy man chest. Yes. <laughs> and then Johnny Abraham falls iconic. out of a tree. <laughs> <laughs> Bye, Bobby. And another thing I really love about this movie is Gary Oldman is one of the strangest villains I've ever seen. In when is movie. Gary Oldman not a strange villain, Sean? No, I mean, but like in Dracula, he's like seductive and sexy. Like, well, yeah, I would say in true romance, he's kind of, kind of crazy. But like... And this one, Zorgas just... I'll just throw out Leon the Professional as well. I feel like Gary Oldman has made quite a career playing really kooky, odd villains. That is true. <laughs> I always forget that him and Busan work together in, in the in the Professional. I've only seen that once, and it's been like 20 years. Uh, I love the Professional. I, I always forget he's in that. But yeah, I was going to say, this one is probably the strangest, though. Like, one of the things that I think is so funny is, like, he... You could literally end the movie. Like, the bad guy almost dies a quarter of the movie way through the movie. Or, like, ha- probably halfway through. When he brings Vito Cornelius to the, uh... This is a little bit farther into the movie. But he brings him to his, like, headquarters. And then nearly chokes to death on a cherry. Which I think is just... <laughs> it, it's, like, so strange. And I feel like most movies would not have a scene like this. Like, they would not make their scene... Like, they would not make their villain look like an absolute imbecile that's what what i don't know this just that's why it feels a little french to me is because like i feel in in a like a different production that's like such a campy aspect that i don't think it would absolutely be done now i mean it definitely adds to the the comedy kind of side to it right oh yeah absolutely yes he's a villain but remember where we are folks we're we're funny right so we got to make him do something that is hilarious like choking on a cherry pit and this movie just has a very strange tone all the way through but yeah. i also am really gonna push back on you thinking this is the weirdest gary oldman villain thing i think both of the things i mentioned he is way more out there than he is doing in this performance okay 
I'll have to rewatch The Professional. And then what was the other one you said? True Romance. Oh, yeah, that one's always weird. But, like, he's only in that movie for, like, 14 seconds. So... So I do have a question. Zorg is very much a businessman, right? He obviously owns so much. So many companies, right? They they mention having to fire a million people. Mm-hmm. So what is his motivation behind even dealing with this evil presence is it more money is it i don't know what's i i don't really feel like it was very clear what was offered other than he was kind of hired to find the stones but for a man that has all the money what's more money to you right like i wasn't sure i do think it's greed i think it's greed and just becoming even more powerful because it, mm. it's like his speech with the empty glass. He's like, Oh, chaos, chaos creates industry. Basically. If you, if you don't create chaos, then you know, you're not allowing, you, you cannot fix chaos without having chaos there to fix. And he's very, I think he's very much an opportunist and is using what he sees as like destruction of, I mean, I wonder what he's thinking. He, I, I think he thinks that he's not going to die when this thing destroys the world. Or that there'll be people there enough for him to, I don't know what his motivation is. Maybe he's just evil, which is always fun. Yeah, I always love what I prefer to have just a, they're just bad for motivation rather than something else. Let villains be evil again, people. Looking at you, Disney. <laughs> Cruella wanted to make a coat of puppies. Puppies! And we made her a good guy. Maleficent, mistress of evil, actually misunderstood. If we get a sympathetic Ursula origin story, I'm just done. <laughs> sympathetic Scar origin story? Which actually would be sympathetic, because you know what yeah. Scar's original name is? Trash. Yeah, it was yeah. Taka, which means trash in Swahili. Finally, they named him after his scar. One Mufasa means king. He is just the spare. <laughs> <laughs> I always wonder if Prince Harry hated that movie. <laughs> <laughs> Being a spare himself. So once a 3D, 3D printer, right? <laughs> like, she just magically wakes up knowing a language. So we had, like, this whole discussion about, so if you were revived from a single cell, would you actually retain your memories? I do not know enough about biology to answer that, but I would say no. Right. Like, your body is however the cell remembers your body being, but, like, in my brain, I would think you'd have to relearn, like, everything. Your brain's brand new. It's just physically developed to the age that the cell says, right? Yeah. So maybe that's what makes her a divine being, this perfect being, right? Is that she can magically awaken and have all her shit together. I wish one day I could magically awaken and have all of my shit together. That I would just be wish fantastic. I could eat all that food and keep that body. Oh, fuck, man. Right? Really? Well, she's also been sleeping for a long time, so she's probably hungry. <laughs> and I wish I could absorb information that quickly, because she just and the encyclopedia dictionary of all history in about 10 minutes flat it took her longer than that it's probably like a day that's still ridiculously fast to learn all of that (laughs) shot 
Yes. And one thing I do want to talk about in this movie is uh, I, we're kind of at the part where Mila Jovovich, we are at the part where Mila Jovovich is introduced. And I think she's just, she's so good in this role. Her face is just so, she's just an incredible looking human being. And then to have her in this. <laughs> yes. Movie. Wasn't she voted like the most beautiful person in the world at one point? <laughs> Oh, I, I don't know, but I, I just, I just meant like, she just says like, her face is just incredibly stunning and she just, she plays this role with like such zeal. Like it really does feel like she's learning like how to be a human again, which I think is important to learn because we go through Lilo, Lilo's story learning where uh, she goes from like almost childlike wonder or, or terror to learning the, what the worst of humanity can do. And this is very much us following her story of whether humanity should be saved or not. And I think that she does play that extremely well because she plays that wide-eyed wonderment well, but she also will play it later in the movie, her like jaded, you know, kind of skepticism. I love her eyes. She does. I'm she a has, sucker for a set of eyes, man. She sucker. has very expressive eyes. I love Amelia Bovich so much. Also, can we talk about one of the costumes here? This is when, when she comes back to life, they give her the thermal bandages, which I think is just such an iconic outfit to be introduced in. You do love your okay, S&M light, like, Sean. <laughs> right? Like, can bandages be considered an outfit? That's 100% an outfit, Kristen. Don't even try me. <laughs> <laughs> Like, that is what's called serving cunt, Kristen. Bitch, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> please. She is serving, and it is on a platter, and she is giving it to us. Thank you. And we absolutely love it. I, I do. I love it. Her orange hair, which is, like, impossibly orange, that mandarin orange, which effed up her hair. <laughs> yeah. Well, the, Kate it was Winslet the wishes. <laughs> No, I don't think she does. Eternal sunshine, all her hair dyes. Yeah, I know, <laughs> but I don't think she'd. I don't think she'd want to go that orange and have her hair get lost. Not like yeah, actress so like... Kate Winslet, but the character of Clementine, I feel like would love to have her hair that orange. Yeah, probably. The only thing I can think about that poor thermal bandage outfit is she is standing on the side of a huge skyscraper and she just has to be cold. I just know she's cold. It says thermal she bandages. She looks cold. But if you're only going to put it on like 5% of my body, my body's going to be fucking cold. Well, like we have established about her nipples, uh, she I seems know. cold. <laughs> yeah. Poor thing. I'm just saying. Poor thing. We've established the fact that Milo Jovovich is always cold in this movie. Got it. <laughs> if you if you walk away from anything, just realize that Mila Jovovich is cold for this movie. <laughs> what I really love is when she's standing on that ledge and she just looks out, and you just see what futuristic New York City is. And it kind of blew my mind that they actually built a miniature futuristic New York City for that shot, and that one of the tallest skyscrapers that they built was actually twenty feet tall. Oh, I love miniatures. Right? But I'm like, it's so detailed. Like, I I love the actual effects, right? The actual, you know, they're not all CGI. They had mm. to actually use real stuff, like the miniatures. Yeah, it was 1987. 
I know, but it just it looks so good to me. <laughs> well, that is because a practical always looks better. Really I does. know. Practical will always win to me. Why I like the eighties. Right before they had it, so they did everything practically and it was beautiful. <laughs> um, but yeah, we were talking about how she escapes and Kristen, you mentioned she's on a ledge outside of a skyscraper. And then she takes a leap of faith and uh, A leap of faith. Sorry. I love you so much right now. The key. <laughs> <laughs> oh, don't be me. Uh, I always do that scene like that because I feel like it is just. Mm. Sorry, Dina. Love you. But that is. That scene should have been cut from Rent, I feel like. Oh, you don't like it when she slow- lowered herself beneath her slow. I do udder. like it when she lowers herself beneath the swollen udder. And she sucked the sweetest milk she'd ever tasted. <laughs> Yes. Um, anyway. Moo with me! Moo! <laughs> Let me hear it, New York City! Moo! Moo! <laughs> anyway. Um, My neighbors are going to be like, what the hell is going on? <laughs> uh, but yes, she takes a leap of faith, not the rent version. And ends up falling into Corbin's. <laughs> Some would call cab. it a suicidal act, you know, just taking a nosedive off a skyscraper, but sure, leap of faith. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think she was committing suicide? I thought she was trying to escape. Yeah, like Lemmings try to escape. <laughs> no, I don't think it was suicidal, but I don't really know what her aim was in that moment. <laughs> I feel like she was trying to land on one of the cars beneath so she could escape, which is what she does. She crashes through. <laughs> Corbin's taxi cab roof. Instead, instead of Jesus take the wheel, it's space priest take the wheel. <laughs> yes. <laughs> this one's not space priest. This is more of taxi cab driver. <laughs> nah. Taxi cab driver take control. It doesn't work as well as Jesus take the wheel, does it? Nah. Nah, space priest. <laughs> space priest. Uh, and they... <laughs> when... She crashes through his roof. I just love how he calls his car. He's like, I know I just had an accident, you daffy bastard. Smart cars are the not worst. Enough, not enough people use the word daffy. Unless it's daffy duck. Hard agree. And then we have our little me cute. It is cute. Big bada boom. I promise you, you know, she's supposed to be saying like this divine language gibberish. But if you listen to it, it says, and then I jumped out a window. <laughs> But I'm like, yeah, that's all you really need to tell out of that whole story. I jumped and ended up in your car. Bada boom. Big bada boom. Big bada boom. <laughs> and also her learning to say, please help when the cops show up. Please. Please. Because you wouldn't know how to pronounce please. Yeah. Please. Oh. Please. <laughs> Because English is stupid. It is. English is so, so stupid. And that's one of the things. That's why. I, that's one of the things I love. Is she's plays <laughs> like she's she pronounces that a plays. Hell. It's very tragic. It is. It's very sad, and it gets it tugs on Bruce Willis's heartstrings enough for him to uh, run away from the cops with her. Well, between that and her cold nipples. 
<laughs> yeah. I'm yes, sure they the helped. nipples probably played into it. <laughs> also, do you think it's true that if you, they don't chase you after a mile, they don't chase you for the police? I feel like that's wrong. I mean, now or in the world of the film? Well, we clearly see it didn't work out in the film, so real life. Oh, yeah, that's not true. <laughs> I guess it depends on what you did. But there is a whole thing. Like, if you're going a certain speed past a cop, like, they can't catch you. So if you're, like, going a certain speed in your car, you're probably good. Also, Clayton, you've have you ever heard me say, look, I only speak two languages, English and bad English? No. Oh, well, I say that to people. Why have I never said that to you? I've definitely said that before, but maybe not to you. But that's yeah, where I got like this. You've definitely never said that to me. <laughs> well, this is where I get a lot of my quotes, so just enjoy it. <laughs> we escape from the cops after completely destroying Corbin's taxi cab. And she gets, she finally says, priest, Vito Cornelius, priest. And then he's, I need a priest! Yes, which he thinks she just needs a doctor, but she insists on a priest. Uh, and I love his introduction of weddings are one floor down, my son. Congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> like, he's just carrying, he's carrying an unconscious <laughs> woman. And it's just like, <laughs> weddings are one floor down. Like, what? <laughs> like, I think this is a little creepy, but like, also funny. <laughs> yeah. And he, we see the priest learn that she's the fifth element and while waking her up, Corbin takes the chance to kiss her and uh, she does not, a, she does not nah. approve. She pull a gun on his ass. It's my favorite scene. Senorecta Gamet is what she says, which we only find out that Ecta Gamet means only, never without my permission. Which I I love the fact that he asked her what it, he asked the priest what Corbin asked the priest what that means. Yeah, I would say that uh, she didn't appreciate it when she pulled your own gun on you. Yeah, don't kiss people while they're sleeping. That's uh, generally not cool. Right. Agreed. I like how he got the message though. He's like, "Yeah, I shouldn't have kissed you." Uh, I yeah, mean, I someone pulls that, a gun sorry. on you while you're doing something that will teach you a lesson pretty quick most of the time. Yep. <laughs> we're le- we're seeing Lilu learn about humanity and about the world and all the history that she's missed in the five thousand years she's been sleeping. And I she's wish I could sleep ch- for five thousand years. Fuck right. This is the scene where she makes a chicken out of it. What looks to be like a food pellet. <laughs> she just puts in like it in a, two seconds flat. And like a she puts it in a microwave, and then all of a sudden it's just like full chicken with vegetables. Dude, it had like dressing and everything. Like it was a whole kit and caboodle. Yeah, like, whole ass roasted chicken. My mom, like, remember I mentioned earlier, my mother loves this movie, and the chicken good scene always gets to her. She every time she's like, "I want that." Which doesn't surprise me. My mom likes microwave food. <laughs> Not that there's anything wrong with it. I could see that about it. your it's mom. Just, yeah. That's good, I can't. And then we... Also, you. I know you've heard me say Donko. No. I say that to you all the time. Don't even try Well, it. if you do, I probably just thought you were saying Donka. Yeah, no, it's Donko. Domo Donko. I say that to everyone. That's Nobody ever saying. knows it's from this movie. <laughs> 
Domo Arigato, Mr. Roboto. Wrong Domo. That's what I think. I know, but I like it. <laughs> well, we're kind of seeing that right now, you know, she's learning about all of this stuff, but, you know, the priest and his apprentice are like, you know, we're kind of running out of time here. We don't, we have the fifth element, but where are the four stones? And so they ask her, you know, where are the, where's the case of the four stones? And then she proceeds to explain to them that, that the case was stolen. And they're like, well, who in the hell would want to steal these stones? And that's when the priest's uh, memories jog that he's actually met Zorg before. Zorg showed up at his apartment asking about the stones. Yes. So that's when we kind of segue back into seeing what Zorg's all up about. And apparently he's an arms dealer in cahoots. And one of these fellas is in cahoots. Um, yeah. Arms dealers are wonderful villains and things. <coughs> Iron Man. Exactly. <laughs> uh, so it comes to light that, you know, Zorg's willing to trade four cases of these amazing weapons that do all of this nifty shit to the aliens. That, yeah. With replay, which sends all bullets back to the spot they originally shot from first shot. They've got. The flames, they've got the rocket launcher, arrow, arrows with poisonous or exploding gas heads. Your trusty flamethrower. Which is Zork's favorite. <laughs> and the all new ice cube system. Oh, and we forgot the net launcher. Net launcher, yeah. Which. Can't forget that. Gotta love the net launcher. You do gotta love a good net launcher. So I think, you know, they were supposed to trade the stones for all these weapons and And they come with the case, which we see was originally attached to Lilu's hand. <laughs> and we they find out that there's nothing in the case. And I love this intercut. Like where there it's two stories happen the story's happening at the same time, but you're learning it from two different sto- like two different groups of people. <laughs> Where you see Zorg and the Mangalores. Yeah, they got Lilu on the internet doodling some shit. I wonder if they would still use Google. Of course, it's still around, don't worry. <laughs> Zorg, also known as Google. <laughs> Zorgle! Zorgle. <laughs> I'd use that. <laughs> yes, but she's telling the story of how the Mondashimans didn't trust the humans very much. Rightfully so. And, For obvious reasons. Yes, and ended up set, giving the stones to someone they could tr- trust. And she is meet, supposed to meet Lilu on planet Floston. So it all culminates with Zorg being an ass, like, okay, no stones, no weapons. And the Mangalers are always, honestly, a mercenary kind of fucking species. They're all like... We did the work. We want to be paid. And he's like, oh, so you are merchants instead of mercenaries now. So in good faith, he leaves them a crate of the weapons to fuck around with, right? And at the same time, Leela's telling the priest and them that we got to go to Floss in Paradise because we got to meet this representative that's better than the humans who has the stones, right? I think the best part of this is that you see the manglers just fucking around with these you know destructive weapons like netting each other i mean wouldn't you 
I'd want to see what those things Hell did. Hell yeah, I would. I'd be setting shit on fire. <laughs> I feel like I would not because I like life. And if you accidentally blow something up, which they do, I... Themselves. Yep. And like Zork Yellow. says, a killer would have asked about the little red button at the bottom of the gun. And none of them ask. And one of them is stupid enough to press it without asking. And kaboom. <laughs> yeah, I think we've established that the Mangalores are not the uh, brightest around. No, they're definitely like... They're the warriors, which are not, like they said, not very smart. Just getting it done. <laughs> they seem Get like something done. that would be in Hitchhiker's of Guide to, Guide to the Galaxy. Like, that is what these creatures feel like. I, I agree. 100%. They do feel like they'd be in it. We've kind of met Zorg a little bit. We know he's Zorg. Um, and like he says, honor skilled millions never saved a single one. <laughs> Which is what warriors tend to live by is an honor code. Which, it does kind of get them all killed because they're not actual real killers. No, no. And after this, uh, Zorg sends his henchman, who I don't remember if we ever get his name, sends his henchman to go and collect Vito, priest Vito. The priest. Space priest. Yes, the space priest over to, back to his headquarters and he, Vito is like, Cornelius, the space priest, is just like, um, I don't understand why you're working with him. And he's just like, well, if I create a little bit of destruction, then I will make a little bit of, like, I'll make more money off of it. Which is stupid. It looks because... like he, he makes the analogy that there cannot be life without destruction. Like, destruction creates purpose for life i think is where he's going with it right and he does and in a lot of ways it can but like i think he doesn't realize this means the destruction of all humanity of the entire universe he's just like i don't i (laughs) that's definitely in the fine print i'm sure (laughs) right like he didn't read this contract very well and he didn't pay his lawyer to read it either (laughs) no and i also want to go I just want to mention that the name Jean Baptiste Emmanuel Zorg is such a great villain name. Like, such an epic name. We see Zorg almost choked to death on a cherry, which I think is really funny because it kind of humanizes your villain a little bit and it makes him almost a little silly. Why is the desk announcing what is going on? Uh, I feel like that's just the future. It tells you what everything Water. is. Water. <laughs> Fruit. Fruit. Cherry. cherry. Like, how does the desk know you picked up the fucking cherry? It can feel like, the how? weight shift. Oh. I feel like it felt the weight shift. Um, but yeah, he almost... he, And luckily, the space priest is much nicer than Zorg is. And he basically just hits Zorg in the back, enough for him to spit out the cherry. And because he saved his life, he spared the priest for now. Which was probably a dumb idea, like, <laughs> like he said, apparently Honor didn't save your ass in the end. Ha! Right. And also in another, so at the next scene, we learn that the military, including the president, ha- do know that the stones are with the Diva Plava Laguna, and they decide to make a mission to send a man to go pick them up from the Diva, and... 
they me- they mention their best man is Corbin. Well, they don't mention it, but they do cut to him, and you know what you're implying. Oh, we already know. We yes. Already know. And he... Bruce fucking Willis. Mm-hmm. Bruce fucking Willis. And he's already had a shitty day because he got fired. He's one of the people that was fired from a Zord company. And... He, but at least he gets his lunch free, which is nice, because that Chinese food looked good. And that's when the general and major iceborg show up who also just love the fact that her name is iceborg she looks like she'd be like a helga iceborg she does look like a helga like <laughs> that is a robust woman very robust <laughs> and so that's when the general is trying to get corbin to basically take he's trying to get him to take the mission and Lilu shows up, who he says is his soon-to-be wife. He's going to ask her to marry him. And they end up... He hides them in the refrigerator because he says that they hate the military because she know they know that the mass... She knows that the military essentially the yeah. was the reason for the end of his marriage dying. Who apparently she left with his lawyer, his wife. Classic. <laughs> um, Lilu comes in with the priest, and the priest still has Corbin's gun that Lilu had taken earlier to threaten him with when she when he kissed her without without her consent, and threatens him because he's trying to save the world. And in the middle of that, there is a there is a police activity. Where Zorg's henchman is trying to get Corbin Dallas arrested for uranium smuggling, and so we've got the three pe- the three people from the from the army hidden in the refrigerator. We got Lilu hiding in the shower, and we've got priest Vito Cornelius hiding in the bed. <laughs> and one of my favorite lines of this entire movie is when they ask Bruce Willis, "Do you classify as a human?" And he goes, "Negative. I'm a meat popsicle." <laughs> that that's your favorite line from this no i said it's one of my favorite lines my favorite line is lilu dallas multifast well yes i mean that's by far the best i would <laughs> yeah no i said it's one of them i just like the i think it's funny that he's talking to the police and calling himself a meat popsicle <laughs> which would imply that he's cold i guess <laughs> you know people were just cold during the making of this movie we have established this right and which is why <laughs> poor Mila gets more cold because when he rescues her from the f- shower, there was an auto wash and it washed her, and now she's cold and freezing again. <laughs> poor Mila, and Cornelius uh, knocks out Corbin and steals the tickets, and then they head for the airport, leading to the best sequence in the entire film: the time at the airport or Ruby Rod. The airport. The whole, like, multipass sequence, I think, is hysterical. Oh, Highlighted the I... movie for me. <laughs> like, that's a poor, like, receptionist. The poor receptionist. She's just like, how many Corbin Dallas's am I going to see today? Like... I love when she's like, um, they left and just exits. <laughs> Peace the fuck out, homie. <laughs> Sorry, sir. Boarding is finished. <laughs> it's just like, nice. very much like, just I'm like, on break. This register is closed and just... Whoop. Yes. Also, I love the fact that all, all of the women in this are basically supermodels. 
Because they all came with John Paul Gaultier. Yes. We also see, I always find it funny when Ian Holmes' space priest is like telling all of his troubles to a robot bartender. And he's just like, I know she's supposed to be strong, but she's just so fragile. He's like, you know, and the bartender's like, so human. (laughs) I know. And the bartender just like shakes its head and is like, you want some more? (laughs) Very good bartending skills. Yes. But this is also our introduction to the one character we really haven't mentioned very much in this. Ruby Rod, played by Chris Tucker. And this is the performance that most people either love this movie or hate this movie for. And Ruby is a very loud, very brash TV personality who... Or not TV, I'm sorry, radio personality who is way over the top and loud and high-pitched and extremely crazy but also kind of sexy. <laughs> this is what I imagine YouTube influencers to be. Like in the future or now? Both. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I think this character is what Effie Trinket would wish she was like. Really? Oh, could you imagine putting the two of them in a room? Oh my god. Oh, they would just be incessant clothes. banging. Just a fucking fuck show every day that's what that would be <laughs> seriously though it would be <laughs> they would have fun then they would come out in each other's outfits so everything would be good he has impeccable taste he, he really truly does. does i love the blonde <laughs> cone <laughs> the blonde <laughs> hair cone is so good <laughs> uh and we watch him kind of seduce all these women with the most raucous radio t- personality you think you've ever heard. Yeah. I mean, I think I think it's pretty up there. And leads to <laughs> another great intercut scene of the flight crew trying to get the wheels up off the ground if you will. Mhm. Mm. Another one of the intercut scenes of the flight crew trying to get the flight ready to be taken off. And uh, Ruby taking a flight attendant. Well, he's taking, taking her off. top, her top. <laughs> he's uh... never felt this way before with a human. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, while it's taking off, he's going down. Symmetry. Yep. I love it when the movie, when movies give you symmetry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And this is also a good line. I don't want one position. I want all positions. I wish I could do an impression of how he says things in this, but I just, I can't. Yeah, it's very, like... I'm surprised yeah, you do. Swear, it's it's so, like, drag-coded. I feel like you should be able to do this, and you've seen every single episode of every drag race at least seven times. I have not. Six. I've seen a lot of them. Twice, but not, all not them. seven. Twice. It's not all of them. <laughs> I've never felt this way before. You know, with a human. It's too high for me. I can't. I swear! I swear! <laughs> See? It's too high. Can't do it. Not gonna attempt anymore because it's awful. I want to rewatch this and count how many times he says, oh my god. Oh my god. 
<laughs> See, you know, Temple of Doom, the screaming made me like want to rip my own face off. Every time he screamed in this, I'm just like, yes, do it again. <laughs> <laughs> because it's like impressively high. Like it is a falsetto scream that like it is very feminine, but like it's so incredible. I, I don't know how Chris Tucker did it. I don't think Chris Tucker knows how Chris Tucker did it. <laughs> <laughs> right? He just kind of like showed up. Was like, all right. <laughs> But we end up on on the Flossen Paradise ship, which is really beautiful. But they keep it at eighty five, so I'm totally not going. Too high for me. I'm a I'm a I like seventy. Mm, <laughs> I keep my house at here. six. I was like I keep mine at sixty five when I'm in the house. When I leave the house, I turn it to seventy, so I don't waste power or as much power. How thrifty! <laughs> and we see. Mr. Shadow come on the line and talk to Zorg, and Zorg starts bleeding on his forehead. And we get another fantastic phone call from Corbin's mother. And this is when she goes, you miserable bastard, I never should have pushed you out. And I think Because he didn't re- take her on his vacation. <laughs> remarkable woman. Right? She lives on the lunar surface, and I'm just like, if it's so cold, why do you not move back? (laughs) Who knows? But the diva is a little bit of an introduction here, even though she's shrouded. And we are introduced to the the cute little head of security who looks like he's four. Teen. Like, he's really young. (laughs) His name is is Fog. And I'm like, yeah. Yeah. I just love it. Hello, Miss Diva. I'm Fog. You're... We're glad to have you tall. <laughs> like, just does not talk. <laughs> this has got to be to preserve his first her voice. Trip. Well, she's also supposed to be kind of like otherworldly, which I think is cool because she's definitely communicating telepathically with her, her underlings who tell Lilu, who has slipped away from Corbin, that she knows that she's there she's glad she's there and she will give her what she came for after the show which i've always wondered knowing that the stones are inside of diva plava laguna how would she have gotten them out maybe she was always going to die maybe she yeah maybe she always saw this was how it was supposed to happen is she a seer i'm like okay you see her she has four of those stones inside of her where's the rest of her organs they were just made of jelly like the rest of her. Apparently. She's just... She's doing... clearly a Bene Gesserit. <laughs> nice dude reference. Thanks. Mm-hmm. We're at the start of the Divas concert. And I... I was find it funny when Ruby's like, this is the perfect replica of an old opera house. But who cares? <laughs> <laughs> Does anyone have any silver? Yeah. <laughs> Then who cares? But, and the introduction to the row of ministers, more sinisters than ministers. There's what, what is it, like Baby Ray, Star of Stage and Screen, who is stone deaf? <laughs> Something like that. And a laser ball player. Yeah, Roy Von Bacon. Von <laughs> <I>, Bacon. <laughs> and the Emperor of Konar Jafet and his lovely daughter. I love to sing. 
which I think is so funny. <laughs> he just has like a recording of her singing. Moaning. Yes. Mm. Singing in quotation mm-hmm. marks. <laughs> and we are finally at the, in my opinion, I, is the most visually stunning aspect of this movie. And it is the Diva Plava Laguna. And this design is incredible. Like, it is. She it's is a super, a, super cool looking. Like, she is blue. Like, her skin is made of dress, or her dress is made of skin. Her dress is made of skin! <laughs> <laughs> and she Taking a whole new meaning to the naked dress. Yeah. And her, she's just... She's blue and just an imposing figure, and sings Lucia de Lammermoor. Uh, yes, and yes, the, the actress is the actress is lip syncing. But uh I mean the performance of I don't know do you know the name of the person who actually sang it? Um I do actually hang on a second I said I did read that they had her do as much of it as she could the way it's supposed to be and then when they came to the crazy stuff she would have to sing the individual notes and then they actually digitally meshed it together she is an albanian lyric soprano named inva mula sing my angel (laughs) but drop those mad beats about three-fourths the way through which is funny and also i really love this score i think it's so much fun it's it's kind of whimsical but it also has some like really get great moments which is funny because he actually did what is considered by many to be one of the worst bond scores for goldeneye the score for goldeneye is so bombastic i really enjoyed the score of the fifth element actually Mm -hmm. me too i think it's really good and it's like it incorporates electronic elements but it doesn't feel too crazy it doesn't go into the whole synth you know what i'm saying like yeah you get electronic but you don't get like straight up techno synthesizer kind of stuff right this is a good it is a good one it's i enjoy this soundtrack a lot um also the very 90s ending song which is so 90s (laughs) but yes we're having in the middle of the divas performance we also see that the mangalores attack the diva suite to try and steal the stone the stones and Lilu gets to have a little bit of revenge. And it is intercut in time. Good with, for her. Yep, it's intercut in time with the Plava Lagunas, like, singing. And it just feels like the diva definitely knows what's going on. Well, yeah. Right, it does seem like, yeah. Yeah. And she wins. She defeats all the, all the Mangalores. And, but unfortunately, Zarg has shown up because he knew where to go. And he is going to kill her if she doesn't give him the case of stones. So she throws him the case of stones and hides in the ducks until he shoots her. So much shooting in this section. There is so much shooting. This is when the action part of this action movie really comes into effect. And this is the like the section that actually started to kind of like lose me a little bit. Is Really? I find this is so much fun. I like all the stuff with Ruby, but everything else, it just feels like it starts to drag. A little bit during this which is funny because it's like you know the high octane action stuff but it hasn't been that type of a movie really up until that point well i did kind of notice like the fight scene with lilu and the mangalors it's 
there's a lot of movement going on, but the camera's not moving a lot. You see what I'm saying? Like, it's just in one spot, and then you see her and them moving a lot in that one spot. So I don't know if maybe that takes away from the action part of the action scene that the camera's not moving as much. Yeah, that probably actually does contribute to that. Good, good notice. And then, you know, her fake leg because she couldn't kick that high. I appreciate that. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, this is pre-Resident Evil. (laughs) Her martial arts skills were not that tuned yet. And she's like, yeah, they just had a fake leg. And I grunted and they just kicked it right on up there. (laughs) (laughs) This is why I love watching the extras. (laughs) Yes, this is why I'm a huge fan. This is why I love physical media is because in a lot of movies, when you buy them on digital, they don't have special features. And so I love watching all of these to be able to kind of, you know, see how movies were made. I've always found it fascinating. Yeah, I really miss, even on new releases, a lot of times they just don't do special features like they used to. Uh -uh. I mean, honestly, I don't have time anymore to sit and spend six hours watching special features for the Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2003 remake. But I loved it when I did have time to do things like that. Oh, yeah, I like getting the tasty tidbits, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and it's really fun to see how, like, how something is made. For me, it adds to the movie. And I know, like, if you're looking at the Christian Bale of it all, he hates them because he thinks it takes away the magic. I actually think the magic becomes... Are you laughing at my Christian Bale reference? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I wasn't laughing. I was more just like... Uh. I was. <laughs> oh, come on. You know it's true. That's why he hates... He hates special features because he doesn't like to see the behind the scenes because for him, he thinks it ruins the magic. Me, I think it makes the magic better because they create something that's... All the work that went into it, you know? Yeah, it is super cool. But then again, there is like when I was watching Dave Made a Maze, there was a scene in that that was super funny. But why it struck me so funny is I was just thinking about the logistics of actually filming that moment. So rather than it being just like whimsical and funny, I was just like, oh my God. They're sitting there doing this. There's a person laying right out of the camera's frame in between them, throwing up pieces of paper. And (laughs) yeah, so sometimes I will agree it does spoil the magic a little bit, but it almost changes it. So it's like, God, this is so cool how they did this. Um, But other times I'm just like, I don't want to know. I feel like being in the movies would kind of kill movies for you. I can see that. Well, it could. But you can also see it as, like, you get to see all of the hard work you put into it and see the little moments you put together actually come together, which I think is fascinating. Um, But yeah, so we're at the action. Um, The Mangalores attack and and decide to take over the ship. They kill the diva, who says that the stones are in her, and we now have Corbin just reaching his hand inside of a dead alien's stomach which fun <laughs> Ta-da! and then we have the action the probably the biggest action set piece it is the biggest action set piece and that is corbin dallas versus all the bangalores and he wins well yeah he's bruce fucking willis i did find a little bitty tidbit on this scene like the pyrotech it is all pyrotechnics all of it 
and there is no CGI in that. So when they lit it on fire, they actually lit the set on fire and had to clear the set for four hours so that the fire brigade could come in and put it out. That's wonderful. Burn it down. <laughs> Burn it all down. We don't need that set anymore. It's fine. Exactly. <laughs> we can start with the executives' houses. <laughs> On board. Yeah. Get rid of them. But yeah, this is um, also we get the very fun uh, line, uh, anybody else want to negotiate, which is right after Bruce Willis kills the Mandalore's leader. And which is such a know, funny moment. It is. Um, especially because Fog, the chief of security, is like, where did he learn to negotiate like that? And the president's like, I wonder. And it's very much like, oh, this is this is the United States is uh this is how they would do it. <laughs> uh Let me just say that the government is getting all of their intel from Ruby Rod's radio conduct. They really are. Transmission, okay? Like, this is their source of information. Is his I mean, he is giving a complete (laughs) blow by blow. Play, yes. Play by play. We're all going to die. Listen to me scream. Check back in with me tomorrow if I'm still alive. The time is now 7 p.m. Time for the news. Tune in to me again tomorrow for another adventure. This is like. I'm always like, that's the best show I ever did. <laughs> I laughed so hard at that. <laughs> but yeah, so we've, this is, that skipped ahead a little bit, but Zorg had left a bomb and he has the case, but discovers that the case, the case does not have the stones in them. So he okay, goes back. so if the first time you looked in the case and there was no stones, why would you not check it the second time? Because oh. I tell you what, there was one time my son put a sippy cup in the oven and I turned it on and melted a sippy cup in the bottom of my oven. And I guarantee you to this day, 15 years later, I still check the oven before I turn it on. <laughs> so he just dumb for not looking in the case. Agreed. Always check things. He deserves explosions. He really does. He does deserve them. <laughs> but we get our mad dash. Everyone gets off. Who's still alive? And then they jack Zorg's ride. And he stops the timer to look for the stones again. With five seconds to go. But the Mangalores decide to go for the honor of just blowing his ass up. And Game straight. Explosions! <laughs> Uh, and this is when the movie really, it slows down a little bit to really kind of give you like a lot of the theme of the movie, which is like, what is the use of protecting life? If you see what we do with it. Um, and we see Lilu discover really what war is. And that's just, it's, it's heartbreaking to watch her discover what war is. She moves from childlike wonder to mid-twenties depression very quickly. She really does. Yeah. She's very, she, like I said, this is what she... Relatable content. Yeah. And they make it to the desert and have to essentially learn how to open the stones, which I always think is really funny when they're all just like, 
they're trying to figure out how they uh, how to open the stones and david's like we're not gonna make it and then he just like blows and then opens and then he just they're like what did you do and he stands like right next to him he's like we're not gonna make it and nothing happens <laughs> i always thought that extremely funny it did make me giggle slightly <laughs> <laughs> Yes, uh, but they get the stones open with their last match, and then it's time for Lulu to work. The evil planet is coming, it's about to kill them, and she <laughs> says she doesn't know love, and Corbin reveals that he loves her, and love is the fifth element. Gross. <laughs> well, I do have to say that as, like, the scene... This is one of the this scene right here is probably the one that kept my attention for the longest. Right? Everything is, you know, big explosions, big personalities, whatever, but like this actually is like, okay, well this is my job. I'm supposed to save humanity, but why? What what is worth saving? Show me what's what's worth saving and then he has to actually be vulnerable, which he hasn't been vulnerable this entire time. Hasn't even said anything that would imply that he's vulnerable. But then he admits it, you know, because I love you. Someone does love you, not just for what you can do for humanity, but for who you are. And so that that's the reason why, like, this scene kind of keeps my attention. There's not anything big or flashy about it, but it's true. Why Why should you save humanity? Well, the list is a little shorter, but it's all worth it. And I hate this scene because it is overly sentimental. <laughs> I know. <laughs> yes, we know you have a cold, dead heart. I do. That whole, like, because I love you, I just, my eyes rolled so far back into my head. I'm just like, God, this movie was so close to greatness <laughs> yeah i just i i think this movie is kind of a hopeful movie and i think that's one of the reasons i do like it is it doesn't it doesn't end on a sour note like the you know like the characters win yeah it who ends on good survives yeah right <laughs> and, yep i was gonna say and corbin and lilu end up in a like they're in some kind of like hyperbaric chamber. Like, they needed to be rejuvenated. Rejuvenated, which it looks like they are having a lot of fun rejuvenating. They do look like they're having fun rejuvenating. This is when that 90s soul religion song comes on, and I. <laughs> it's so 90s. <laughs> Not in a good way. <laughs> I love. I love how. Corbin Dallas's mother somehow got the phone number to the general so that she could speak to the president. Oh, I wonder if she called Corbin's phone number and that was like his stuff or something. Maybe, but I like to think she just found this phone number to get a hold of his dad. <laughs> she was just like, where is he? <laughs> she seems like the kind of mom that would be like, I'm going to find you. The president's an idiot and you don't sound like an idiot. Hey, everything is on Zorgle. <laughs> that's right. Everything is on Zorgle. <laughs> and that's pretty much the movie. So, Clayton, what would you rate this out of five? I will give this a very solid four out of five. It goes on a tiny bit too long, but it's very entertaining, if a bit sentimental for my personal taste. 
but it's a fun ride. Mila's wonderful. It's a fun world to spend time in. Chris Tucker is, you just have to see it to believe it. But yeah, four out of five, easy. Yeah, that's a good one. How about you, Kristen? Same, four out of five. I do have to say that, yeah, you would not think that Chris Tucker would be doing this kind of performance, right? No. I don't think it's one that he's uh, repeated at all either. Well, no. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I did notice that, you know, for how visually appealing it is, it didn't really get nominated for hardly anything. And it definitely didn't win anything. And then I found out it was because guess what came out the same year? Titanic. Titanic. And all I have to say is at least their ship had enough lifeboats. (laughs) So true. So true. (laughs) Uh, For myself, I would give this a four and a half out of five, which mine might be slightly more nostalgia. I just, I love this movie. I think it's so much fun. Um, This is one of those movies that I'll play with my family. Like it's one of our, one of our go-tos if we can't decide what to watch. And I just, I think it's fun. I wouldn't have even begrudged if you gave this a five. Like, literally my only reason I only gave it a four was just because of personal taste stuff. I don't think there's a lot negative to really say about it. No, I don't. And that's the thing is, like, I don't think there's a lot of negative to it. But I I just can't. Something in me just won't give it a five. Mm. Like, like, you know, sci-fi isn't, like, my favorite bag anyway but yeah if i was into that type of thing i feel like i would just be like five stars it's perfect (laughs) for me like (sighs) visually it's awesome the dialogue there are some great quips in there and of course there's quotable stuff right but sometimes the dialogue just leaves me wanting more yeah i was gonna say kristen and i watched this earlier and when they're talking about the letter V, and he's like, Valiant. Oh, God, yeah. Very I beautiful. My eyes. I'm like, Kristen, oh, my God. Kristen legitimately out. went, ugh. Yeah. <laughs> no. In all fairness, I watched this very snuggled with Trevor. So <laughs> when something like that would happen, I'd just be like, Jesus <laughs> Christ. And then I would just focus on snuggling for a minute. Until it went away, and <laughs> until it went away, I'm just like, oh God, stop with this dialogue. So yes, good point. <laughs> um, I've always took it as very much uh, since Basan was so like French, can't not even just French, but like he was so like comic books were were such a huge part of his childhood, and working with like a lot of this dialogue seems almost like it's from a comic book like i could see those mm, in like yes yes and like and and like talk bubbles like valiant vulnerable very beautiful like that for me feels like a very comic book moment which is kind of fitting for this film yeah yeah but it's not a comic book no it's not it that only be. works for like sin city i guess something that knows it's a comic book you know what i'm saying exactly <laughs> Maybe Basan was just preparing it for it to be a... Maybe it will be a comic book someday. Somebody should make it. 
it's either all or nothing for me. Either know your comic book and I need bubbles with action words like kapow, mm-hmm. or don't. Okay, but not every comic book has action words like kapow. They should. <laughs> they should, God damn it! I was like, this could easily be a graphic novel. I need true. <laughs> I need like subtitle level squelching noises. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, well, let's just end on the subtitleable squelching noises. Um, <laughs> so this movie had a budget of $93 million, and it grossed $264 million, making it a uh, pretty pretty big hit for... Yeah, very respectable. Yeah, very respectable. And a letterbox score of 3.7. See, people like this movie. Yeah. But yeah, that's, um, so that's The Fifth Element, uh... Kristen, uh, where can people find you on the socials? Somewhere on the internet. <laughs> you are somewhere on the internet. <laughs> Zorgle. You want me. Zorgle her. Zorgle me. <laughs> Zorgle me on the Facebook <laughs> via my name, and you might find me. That is true. You are. <laughs> you 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 do exist out there. I share funny memes. Friend her on Facebook. She'll totally confirm. I'll totally confirm. If you want to find us on the socials, which you should, you can find the podcast uh, pretty much everywhere. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Blue Sky. Just search the pod. You'll find us. I am on Twitter and Letterboxd and Blue Sky at just happy to see you. Number two letter C letter U. Sean, you are on Twitter and Letterboxd at Murph the Smurf. M-U-R-P-H-T-H-E-S-M-U-R-P-H. If you want to email us, our email is men who like men who like movies pod at gmail.com. And that is all the places you can get in touch with us. Yes. Um, so, Clayton, what are we watching next week? Well, next week we are covering another William Friedkin, Tracy Letts play adaptation, Bug with Horror Queers, which is half the reason we started podcasting. So that'll be fun. <laughs> which it's going to be fun to receive because I could not stand this movie the first time I saw it. No, I'm very it. excited to see how you feel about this on a rewatch. Yes. I will go in with critical eye. Yeah, please do. And just know the other three of us are huge fans. So be prepared to argue if you don't like it. That's... <laughs> And that's fine. I will be the dissenting vote. <laughs> Maybe. Better zorgle your facts. Yeah, I think you'll quite like it this time. Uh, please don't forget to maybe give us a rate and review if you have time. It helps podcasts out so much. Please don't forget to be kind to people. The world sucks. It's not that hard. Kristen, thank you so much for jumping on to talk with us about The Fifth Element. Yes, I love you. to talk to you about our other couple things we have coming up, which I will keep a secret. But yes, thank Ooh. you so much. I always love coming on here. I will come here anytime you want. Yes. yes. We... I love you, Kristen. I yeah, love you. I love it when you come. Uh, <laughs> oh. Uh-oh. Uh, until next time. Bye, everybody. <laughs> a people eye. Bye. <laughs>